Hello and welcome to our first podcast of the new year. Uh, we had quite a busy Christmas, but the boys have got it together and we're back. Uh, I'm Stephen Hussey and I'm with... The lovely George Taylor. And we have got some structure to the show now. So we're now going to, instead of having rambling chats every podcast, which is probably less fun for you guys than it is for us, <laughs> we're going to, we kind of pick different topics uh, that we're going to talk about each week. Some are going to be on personal development. Some might be on books. Some might be on movies. Some might be on cultural movements or interesting things we've learned about. Uh, some be on dating or relationships. A lot of hard-hitting um, political debate. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, some real real steamy uh, political debate. Um, yeah, so we're just going to kind of dance through these lovely medley of topics. And today, we're going to be talking about whether you should bother being a minimalist. Um, minimalism, obviously very fashionable over the last decade or so um probably first emerged as an artistic visual aesthetic musical movement around the sort of 1970s uh you have the rise of minimalist ambient music you have the kind of rothko paintings with the uh, abstract expressionist just simple colors on a canvas uh, you have blank white paintings in canvas emerging. Um, you have experimental minimalist films. And I guess in its essence, the idea of minimalism is stripping away everything that is unnecessary or superfluous. It's the idea like, like of... Podcast. Like podcast. <laughs> like rambling media. Um <laughs> Trying to cut things down to the exact core, the essence, only the stuff you need. Uh, I guess there's a very big link with Zen Buddhism and that sort of Japanese, uh, that Japanese ethos of simplicity, um, cutting everything down to the bone. And that affected, I guess, literature as well. Um, people like Hemingway back in the 30s. Uh, so there's a whole movement of minimalism and in the last 10 years, I guess about, I guess since about the sort of rise of the digital nomad and that sort of lifestyle. There's social media, I would say to jump in, social media has definitely helped kind of propagate a sort of pop culture minimalism, right? That's, I guess that's what we're responding to more. Yeah. A kind of lifestyle minimalism yeah. that emerged as a, as a way of living um, a decision about, the kind of, I guess, I guess minimalism as a um, furniture became much more popular, minimalism in your home, and the idea of living with as little things as possible. Um, the sort of digital nomad, I guess, is the classic, the person who can literally live with their laptop uh, and plonk it anywhere. Um, yeah, so. I think that's a, that's an interesting example because I don't think that's necessarily someone who's like following the uh, the prescribed ways of being. It's more that's almost the choice of for some people out of necessity, right? Some people choose to be like a digital nomad uh, just because their work requires it. I guess the better test of if someone is a true minimalist is almost if they have have a property, if owning a property 
follows being a minimalist. I don't know if you can still, I'm sure you can still own a property. It's not a socialist, is it? You can still own a property. It's whether someone owns a big house, but then in it has absolutely nothing. Is that a better test of if someone is? Because I, for example, have to live out of a bag a lot of the time, but I'm someone who does like my things. I wouldn't describe myself as a minimalist just because I'm traveling to do my work. Yeah, I see, I don't know. And this is why I want to do this episode is because I don't, I, I think that there's so many people now who I've heard describe themselves as minimalist or describe how they aspire to minimalism. And it's become a very sort of, it's become a it's sort of own brag, right? It's mm-hmm. like, uh, I, oh, I'm a minimalist. And it's almost like a moral position of, how much you believe human beings need. And do you think quickly that it's also um, because of the kind of circles that your work has you moving in like slightly more personal development circles. It's something that is more of a buzzword in that industry. I, I work within language teaching essentially, and I don't hear many, many of my students profess to be minimalist. So I wonder if it's a sort of a social demographic has latched onto it more than another. Yeah, I think, I think that's probably true. I think if you were, you know, I, I've met so many, like you say, I, I sort of frequent those circles where a lot of people are into personal development. A lot of the, you know, the nexus in which I work in my company uh, has people who would kind of that aspire to that, um, that sort of minimalist pornography. But I guess it's... That's not, that's not a... A no. style of pornography, yeah. something I've never come, never come across. So it's just stick figures. Um, <laughs> yeah, um, it's uh, yeah. I, I guess I guess it is a, a certain kind of person who aspires to that lifestyle more. But I do think it has kind of it. It's well bled over to the mainstream, and I think there's um, it, my question with it is I, I've struggled with it for years thinking about. I definitely find the idea seductive and the idea of living, I guess at its essence, just to zoom out the whole thing, the idea is living with less, right? Mm-hmm. And so my question is always, okay, does minimalism mean living with less than you need? Uh, sorry, as little as you need, or does it mean, does it mean having as few things as possible or does it mean only having the things you absolutely really, really want? Because if it was the fewest things possible, you know, if I'm at home looking around me now, my room is pretty, is pretty cluttered actually. Mm -hmm. And looking at it now, I think, wow, I probably really need to take a leaf out of these guys' books because I'm not a hoarder. I don't keep, weird things like oh a bunch of old newspapers i don't have a stack of magazines going back five years but i do have i do collect some things and i collect uh i collect books i collect physical books um i have a bunch of old i have some old like video game consoles in my Mm -hmm. cupboard and they kind of have some weird sentimental value where they're things that I had when I was younger and I think well I, I like keeping that because it does have a certain nostalgia to it I guess but, I guess uh, for that dichotomy that you put up well, like whether it's sort of surviving on the bare minimum essentially or 
or the alternative that you put forward there is sort of like the agency behind it comes into it, right? Like you've got the choice. I don't think we would ever describe someone living in sort of abject poverty. They're not a minimalist, are they? Because there's no choice behind it. So it's sort of, it's having the ability to have lots of things and then choosing to strip them back and choosing the kind of baggage that you carry with you, I suppose. Um, Like the kind of encumbrances that come with having those things. For us, I think that's been something that's that's become apparent recently because we were both living together in a flat and we've both had to move back to our parents kind of in the short term and packing up all the stuff you have, (laughs) moving it, it becomes an ordeal and you try and avoid having to do it. Just having a book, we both have quite large book collections. If everything was just on a Kindle and you could put it in your pocket, you wouldn't have that emotional baggage of, yeah, God, I need to load it all up and where's it going to go at the other end? Last week, I had to buy another bookshelf at home and find a space to put that up. And it, it does become a, some, in some way a burden, but I would yeah. feel more kind of, I'd feel a bit more bereft if I didn't have those things around me because I see them as really nice kind of emblems of, oh, that book, I read that in July 2015 and I was doing this at that time. And it's like a nice, almost a memory jolt. I would struggle to be without those things probably. But um, some I, something that I see more that, that you, you see that kind of personal development world, I see the, my fiance is from Denmark, I see the Scandinavian world a lot more than you do, I suppose. And in Denmark, everyone's apartment is stripped not not in crazy minimalist senses but people just don't have much stuff Mm. they have a few of all the nice things um you open the cutlery drawer and there's four knives four forks four spoons there's four mugs in the flat we the apartment we were living in there were probably 30 mugs that we're never going to have 30 people around for a cup of tea but also there's a good chance you'd have more than four people. So it's like finding that balance of how you can cater. And they all, everyone there just seems to have three pot plants, one rug, a, a nice sofa. Everything's right. sort of compartmentalized and hidden away. So the, the places are very open and very um, calm and clean. I think it, the cleanliness, there's probably a cleanliness aspect that comes into it as well. Yeah. You know, cleaning a big old English house that's been accumulating dust for 500 years on all the old furniture is a very different, um, I don't know, expectation. But the other kind of Scandinavian link to that for me is that that sort of buzzword that was really big in Denmark is that huga, that concept of like coziness. The the big buzzword, one of the sort of Scandi buzzwords in Sweden, I think to pronounce it, is lagom or lagom, something like that. It means having just enough not having more than you need. So eating a meal and not, you know, stuffing yourself, having, you know, three books on the shelf to read instead of 50, that kind of thing. And that having just enough is possibly the safe, happy middle ground of minimalism. Not those kind of diehard, I only have a Swiss army knife and one t-shirt kind of people, but also not the crazy hoarders. It's like, I've got 5,000 books on my shelf. That's too many books you know but but also having no books is not enough it's like finding that middle ground between the two i find i find that a really interesting and possibly more attainable ideal yeah that's the thing i mean there's the the you know i distinguish it as the i wrote a short blog post on this quite a while ago um and i distinguish it between dogmatic minimalism which is that 
if you can have less, you should have less. Mm-hmm. And then kind of value minimalism, which is, um, you know, what's, what's the minimum you would be happy with? And you can. Are we define these people, or are we are we talking about it in a purely material sense or in an experiential sense? Because you wouldn't. I don't know. Would people strive to be a sort of experiential minimalist? Uh, I get. I wouldn't know what that means. Um, well, in this, well, in the sense of you know, you're just sort of meditating and sat sat in a calmness you know are people stripping away all their material possessions so that they can really be that if if they're not a digital nomad but maybe sell all your possessions so that you can go and travel the world and do lots of experiences do a bungee jump do a skydive and accumulate you know a maximalist sense of experience at the expense of your material possessions or are they people who also want to just sit in a zen garden and rake some sand and kind of breathe deeply is that the ambition i'm not sure yeah i um from my from the way i've seen it um the personal development crowd it seems to more come from a position of i want to be a minimalist so i can only focus on mm-hmm. The important high leverage things, basically, like, and it might be it's like a productivity maximizer, isn't it? It might be productivity, it might be stripping away loads of things so that you can, you know, loads of stuff, loads of superfluous objects and items and and crap, so that you can just say, I just want to be able to keep my head focused on exactly what I'm doing, I don't want to do any extraneous activities. Um, and then, and and all, yeah, often it is things like. I would rather maximize my travel experiences and not have material possessions and have Mm -hmm. as little stuff as possible. Um, The monk sort of like minimalism to me, I see as more like that's more of a hardcore subculture of the people who really are almost going towards Buddhism uh, in terms of a lifestyle. And, And I guess what fascinates me is just the, just the just basically our relationship with stuff right and i've become because i've moved recently um and put all my stuff back in my parents home and me and you this year are both going to be away a lot and we're going to be essentially uh living out of a big old sack that we take with us um (laughs) we have one each we don't share one (laughs) you're yeah you're going to denmark for most of the year yeah it's uh, not the sort of country where i could take loads of stuff it's inherently quite a minimalist place so yeah. i need to i need to pack light yeah you can't bring all your old knickknacks and antiques um <laughs> well trinkets you're just big wooden clock table. <laughs> um yeah so it's like so it does make me it does make you think more and more like looking around now i think i'm totally with the minimalist crowd for example on i i still keep a lot of clothes i don't wear like mm. it's my worst thing and the weird thing is i'm not you know, George, you'd be the first to admit, I'm not, I'm not one, an obsessive for fashion, you know. Don't, I'm sort of, don't put yourself down. I'm sort of in the middle on fashion. I'm not, I'm not really much of a, you know, and it's not something I worry about very much, but I do tend to have this weird thing where getting rid of clothes is a real, it only happens basically when I move places. Yeah. And I don't have I, this regular... I also thing. find that difficult. I find that difficult for... I don't know, sentimental is not the right reason, but I've I've been really lucky that my 
my father used to used to not anymore but he used to buy loads of really lovely things lovely clothes jumpers ties those kinds of things that might be 40 even some of them might have been nearly 50 years old but sort of luck of genetics they fit me really well and there's something really wonderful about you know having something like that passed down and getting the most out of it and using it so for me i'm i'm also quite kind of reticent to throw things away but also maybe for things that i see as having quality and value and you know maybe i've ballooned up a little bit in weight steve but that doesn't mean that the lovely jumper i had three years ago that no longer fits part of me sort of weirdly sentimentally thinks i'll give that to my son when he's 15 you know you're thinking like that with your clothes you're thinking yeah i I do i actually do but only only for you know something that's you know, well-made. I wouldn't keep a top man t-shirt to give, to give to my prospective child, but (laughs) it's more just, yeah, I've received these really lovely things that my dad's handed down. There is an element of that. Maybe clothes is taking it not to an extreme, but you know, maybe people associate it with a grandmother giving their granddaughter a piece of jewelry or something. You wouldn't accuse them of, you know, and the grandma hasn't worn it out for 50 years, but you wouldn't say she's necessarily hoarding it. I don't know. There's there's just a sort of sentimental element of it where as long as it still will have utility in the future. But the idea of hanging on to yeah, some like you know naff three pound t shirt that's a size too small. I mean, it probably should just be recycled or charity shopped, right? There's removing yeah. that baggage would be good. Um, these the sort of the hardcore minimalist guys are potentially making comment on contemporary society as well, right? Like there is just some there's some excessive materialism particularly with clothing that um cannot and cannot be good for the environment so that is something that should probably be addressed i don't know if if it's on the individual to do it or the the companies to do it i don't know who addresses that issue yeah i um yeah i and i get that we have a mutual friend who i'm not going to name but he was basically just recently just moaning that christmas is annoying because you just get stuff and he just doesn't want more stuff. Yeah. Stuff that I don't want and I get. And, uh, you know, I, I think with the clothes thing, yeah, I, I mean, I mean, I agree. Like, it's just, you know, every, everything I have, I, I always have excess, um, like say clothes I need. I still don't want to go around walking around with three, you know, owning three or four items of clothing Mm -hmm. and then because I always think if you go too far on the minimalism thing you're basically just creating more work for yourself when someone suddenly goes oh we're going to go on a hike or whatever and do this yeah oh I threw away that pair of shoes because that is the point isn't it it's like like with clothes say reduce what you wear you know like the Steve Jobs or Mark Zuckerberg almost uniform yeah Bart Simpson uniform they've just got 10 of the same t-shirt 10 of the same trousers it removes the effort of choice i suppose that's viable if you live in california and it's 70 degrees every day if you live in the uk you do kind of need rain wear cold weather clothes hot weather clothes you do need a bit of everything Uh, and yeah you're right but also i suppose the people who do that are they being asked to go on a hike or go to a fancy dress party (laughs) does you know it's like when you're a student or something like that it's like oh you have to dress up as a smurf tomorrow no minimalist has got smurf gear ready to go i've got the smurf gear whereas old steve <laughs> old steve's ready for action <laughs> waste not want that yeah um yeah so sometimes i do have that thing where i'm just think like 
I don't know. Someone, it's not like I can, you know, I'll be away for the year or whatever. I'll be away a few times this year and I'll pack a bag and I'll be perfectly happy. I won't want for my things back home. I'll be perfectly happy, whatever, with my laptop, with a few pairs of clothes, a couple of pairs of shoes. And, and it's like, that's fine. That's great. But I, I don't know when I'm, when there's certain times when I look around my home and I see, you know, I've got a drawer full of uh, junk, but then I've got, I've got some things where I think that doesn't really have any use, but I kind of enjoy that. I kind mm. of, it makes me feel good that that is yeah. there. Yeah. And losing that sentiment. Just it is just kind of taking up space with certain things. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's a, it is just taking up space in my wardrobe and it might just be like, you know, that was, um, that was a little thing I was bought by, you know, whatever, a girlfriend or a friend mm-hmm. at some point. And it's just like, Oh, I, I like that. That's there. It's, it adds some kind of pleasure. Yeah. Um, and I do wonder how, I guess I, it's I think, that when all those little bits of pleasure kind of accumulate suddenly, it, it takes on this gravity where you'll probably just, you keep getting pulled back to where all your stuff is. And if you could remove that attachment, you would probably live a lot freer and unencumbered, right? At, at my mum's house next door to the house, it's quite a big garage where I've just dumped loads of stuff. So my bedroom now is ostensibly quite minimalist. Apart from my big bookshelf, there's almost nothing else in it. In the room, I feel like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, you know, I don't have any baggage. But then, as soon as I walk across to the garage, it's like, it's carnage. There's just tons and tons of stuff. It's like my personal landfill, but I've not gotten to the point where I'm willing to throw it away. But I am tethered to that. At some point, I will have to clear that out, remove it, deal with it. I've just, you know, I've moved the problem literally down the down the road ten yeah. yards. You just don't um, want to look at it. <laughs> but yeah, if you could kind of off, it's like cleaning the dashboard on your laptop, right? If you just dump it all in a folder, it yeah, feels yeah. quite clean. But you open that folder and suddenly there's 300,000 files. Like, I also bet with that kind of, like you say, the, the minimalist pornography on Instagram, that kind of stuff, you pan the camera around and I bet there's like the bulging cupboard of just crap, <laughs> just ready to spill out and squash them. Yeah. Um, yeah. You definitely do it of your laptop. You just shove it all in the thing and you're like, and now I'm organized. <laughs> yeah. I think also that another big factor that's come about with the, with the kind of minimalist thing is, is potentially like the clean eating. I, I feel like all, all aspects of, of culture and life have been touched by it. Cause in the last few years, social media has definitely brought it to more people, but that kind of clean eating thing of, you know, stripping down, I only eat, whatever it is um just that kind of clean and sparse look is definitely affecting affecting how people go about food and consuming things yeah caveman diets yeah for sure um i yeah it's it's good and bad i suppose because also you could just say like if you're someone who likes lots of flavor and variation it makes it you know having a minimalist kitchen is quite it means you can't make a curry, you know, like <laughs> certain things require lot, lots of little bits and pieces to make a, a bigger, a bigger piece. And if you only eat, um, yeah, I don't know, tin tuna every day, then you're limited. That's a good point. How does it actually work with cooking? Because that, that part with the idea is, you know, say like there's a, there's a sort of minimalist trope, right. Of living with a hundred items or less, or it, it's something like that. 75, a yeah. hundred items or less. What, you know, 
Do you, are you counting cumin, pepper? <laughs> yeah. well, this Christmas, I'm, I made a lovely trifle, Steve. And I'm going to tell you what, not many minimalists could knock up a trifle. Dude. Because, I mean, <laughs> you need to make custard, you need to make sponge, you need gelatin. It's, these aren't things that you have. No. <laughs> uh, people with, with that kind of limit on their possessions, presumably they're allowed to buy and use and then dispose of something. I guess it, it means like the permanent. I assume it means permanent possessions, right? I buy a I buy a jar of paprika, sprinkle a bit, and then just throw the rest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Are yeah. you are you having to use forty of your items on your herbs and spices? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We've got sixty left now after yeah. the ice cupboard. He's got one yeah. pair of pants, but he's got star anise. But like that that is the part where I'm. I mean, obviously it's ridiculous, but some take it that seriously. Where I am asking, like, like they will go one of my items, a frying pan, and I, and then I go like, well, are you buying each meal to cook? Because that's really expensive and inefficient. <laughs> Shopping for each meal and then because they always go, and if I add one item, I then have to throw another one away. Yeah, but the he's thrown away his epipen so that he can buy. <laughs> Sort of of cooking is the more stuff you got to work with the sort of better you you know you've got more options yeah but i guess again that having a well-stocked larder in the old english tradition is quite a that's not the digital nomad lifestyle right that the measure of that is sure when you... wine cellar. <laughs> not quite. that it there's like different ways of measuring isn't there it's the person who lives freely and travels a lot versus having a home and that's what i found interesting about the scandinavian homes because you know people own that and they live there permanently and everything and it's still quite stripped back they just don't accumulate the those little sort of rubbishy thing you know your secret santa present that you didn't ask for and you don't want but don't bung it in a drawer i suppose it's recycling and using things more efficiently as well i've got a drawer under me right now that is literally mildly collapsing on itself because of the thing <laughs> and and again i'm not i'm not some mad hoarder but it is it is honestly just um i think it's from literally our three years living in london together yeah probably it's probably the place where all the junk from that just was shoved mm. um only useful thing in here is my passport that's it yeah hang on to that one i probably probably keep make that one of my hundred items that's a keeper that one um, um my yeah. university degree, George, is that, you know... What would well, the actual say? degree certificate. Yeah, what would a minimalist say to that? Yeah, burn it. I don't know. <laughs> a photograph? Maybe you're allowed a safety deposit box or something in a bank. Right. You plonk it in there. Just just iPhone photo it and you're done. <laughs> yeah, that'll last. That's, that's sensible. Um, um, Steve, I'm doing that thing where I look at my phone because I know my alarm's about to go off. Why is my alarm about to go off? It's about to go off. There it is. Just give you a blast of it. Give everyone that sort of you have to wake up now awful sensation. It's going off because of our latest gimmick. Which is uh, each time we do one of these episodes, we're going to... Based on the theme of the episode, we're going to give a recommendation for a book... A film and an album and a song and a song. There's a lot of you know. It's, it's George not a minimalist a, approach. No, it's very very maximalist. And uh, you know, George is a cultured man. He's got a lot of 
things to share and uh he said let's bring some recommendations to the people and that's for, that's that's each as well so we're really going to be bogging this bogging these things down yeah, i mean that's well, if you went out foolishly went out and bought our recommendations you'd have lost eight of your 50 items to live with yeah yeah you'll have to throw these away immediately after <laughs> um but um, we, we should put these in little... We, we'll find a way to put little show notes in or something so Ooh. we can write these down so it's not people don't have to just listen back to... No, no, I, I like the... Let's get the listener numbers up. Oh, you want them to have they to, have to keep repeat big, plays. Big, big for the truffles. Get the play count right up there. Great stuff. Um, well, why don't you give me... Give me one of your recommendations, George. This is going to be recommendations based on minimalism. Loosely based on the theme, interpreted as we will. Um, I'll start with I'll start with the film, Steve, and I'm going to go for the film Rope by Alfred Hitchcock. Mm. Seen that? I haven't seen it. I've heard. It's fabulous. Uh, the reason I've kind of strong armed it under the minimalist guise is because it was it's made with the intention of looking like it's filmed in one take. So it it will it potentially is based on a play, but the whole. Uh, it's based on the famous Leopold and Loeb murder where two high school or college student college students um, wanted to commit the perfect murder, thought they were smart enough to get away with, with killing someone and just kind of no strings attached, make a kind of emotionless murder. Uh, it was a, a true instance that happened in maybe the 1910s or 20s. And this film is a kind of take on that, but um, it's, it's all shot in one room during a dinner party and um, it it looks like it's filmed in one take. Now, I think the constraints of camera film at the time meant that it's actually filmed in sort of six or ten, maybe ten takes. I think each take is ten minutes long, but the transitions are fairly seamless. So the camera would pan across a, a window, cut, and then start again. So it looks like one transition, but... It, very limited cast. I think there's maybe four or five people in it. One of them, the lovely Jimmy Stewart, um, and just very sparse in terms of yeah, external fr- yeah frills. It's in a room. It's about one specific instance. It's super tense. Um, the camera works fantastic. It's well acted. Um, yeah, that's my pick for a, a vaguely minimalist film. Ah, oh, I like it. One of my top top five Hitchcock films for me. Ah, oh, I'm going to put that on my list. Um, I am going to go for, well, I'm going to go much more modern Mm. in this case. Um, I'm going to go for the 2013 film starring Tom Hardy called Lock. Have you seen Lock? I haven't, but it's on my list. Um, yeah, it's, um, it's not like a masterpiece, but it's, uh... Less interested. (laughs) Less interested. Uh, well... It's it's one of those a lot of these kind of films that you know star one character one scene whatever they often end up more gimmicky than they are good movies. Um, I'm thinking of the film you know like the Ryan Reynolds thriller Buried, where he's in a coffin, just him in a coffin yeah. for an hour and a half. I mean, uh, it's which, great eye candy, which as a claustrophobic makes me deeply, deeply <laughs> stressed. Um, but it's uh, it just ends up like oh it's a tense. It's a tense thriller based on, you know, uh, you know, it's sort of a life-threatening situation sort of thing. But this, uh, but Locke is actually one where it is just Tom Hardy in a car for. It's not a very long film, probably a little over an hour, 
and it's just him dealing with a crisis uh with this crisis with his wife there's a crisis with his work and he's getting these phone calls coming in and there's a clash between them and this massive tension as this kind of revelation comes out um and it's just it it, it does completely successfully work in just ratcheting up uh your tension like is it one camera on the dashboard of his car it's not one camera the whole time. I think it's different cuts, um, but it is the whole film is just set in the car okay. um, and him going through his crisis where he's got you know, and it's it's like oh my god, he's now got to make this phone call and do this, and mm-hmm. yeah, it's it's like really simple, um, but it's just kind of one of these things. The gimmick actually completely works, and you're kind of sucked into the tension of it, and uh, yeah, I enjoyed nice. it. So Locke with Tom Hardy, awesome. Uh, um, what shall I do now? <laughs> book? Yeah, give us a minimalist book. Yeah, minim- minimalist in the sense that it's very short. Um, so it's a novella called Reunion by a German writer, I think, called Fred Ullman. It's, it's fabulous. I read it in, you know, read it in about an hour. It's about 80 pages long. Um, and it's about a friendship between two German boys between the wars. And um, it packs a very strong emotional punch, but it it builds an entire friendship and the dramas that come with it and a, um, a great emotional payoff in very few words, very few scenes. Um, yeah, kind of heart and mouth stuff and yeah, sparse, very easy to read, very quick. Potentially the only book the author wrote. Um, but yeah, it's kind of an underappreciated classic. I think it was uh, maybe Penguin revisited it and published it in English a couple of years ago, but um, highly recommended as a kind of sparse, quick, easy and emotional read. Hmm. And that's called, what's that called? Reunion. Reunion. Right down. Um, I, uh, Okay, I struggled a bit for book because it was how I how you define minimalism and and what the best thing for it was. But I'm just going to go with um, probably one of the short stories that inspired me to get into literature when I was younger, um, and it was recommended by my cousin Danny, uh, and it was uh, Ernest Hemingway's short story, The Short Happy Life of Francis Macumber. Um, and it's, uh, have you heard of this? I've heard of it. I've not read it. No. It was, it's, you know, I described kind of m- most of, min- uh, I mean, Hemingway is kind of a, a champion in my mind of minimalist prose. Um, it tends to be very stripped down, very bare. Uh, it's not kind of lush, extravagant prose of, of some of his other contemporaries. Um, and, uh, the short happy life of Francis Macumber is basically a kind of, I don't know, 40 page short story that is uh, about a guy who goes hunting with his wife and there's this kind of very tough stern kind of British hunter who's kind of a sort of out machoing him a bit and uh, the guy's paying to basically go on one of these things where you go and you know shoot animals but um popular yeah very popular <laughs> uh more popular in Hemingway <laughs> yeah um but yeah, and it's it's just about him dealing with a crisis of his own his own masculinity almost when he comes face to face with a lion and uh, the kind of repercussions that has uh, with his marriage and this other hunter and it's uh, just a very 
powerful, effective short story that is uh, only linked to minimalism, probably through Hemingway's prose, I'd say. But okay. it's effective. The, uh, li- the lion is a fairly minimalist animal, I suppose. <laughs> how, how are you? How are you? <laughs> it doesn't own stuff. <laughs> but then they have like a kind of a pack, don't they? A pack isn't a particularly. It's a lone hunter. Yeah. Um, anyway. Uh, yeah, so that's my recommendation. Nice. Okay. Um, just, I like this sort of back and forth that we've got going on, so I'll, I'll bat one back at you. My album is um, Nebraska by Bruce Springsteen. The um, boss. The boss himself. Um, a man normally known for his kind of incredibly maximalist music, sort of um, Phil Spector-esque production, 20 guitars overdubbed, you know, full band, saxophones, wailing, all this kind of stuff. Nebraska, the album that I'm sure lots of people are familiar with, but it's not one of his most, um, I don't know, popular. Um, it's just him and his guitar, maybe a bit of keyboard, recorded at home. He recorded as demos for the band to then spin up into kind of his full-blown pompous music. Not pompous, but, you know, pomp music. But um, after giving it a go, realised that the stripped-down versions of the songs were just that that much more haunting and affecting. Um, so it's it's just the boss and his guitar and a lot of raw emotion in demo. They, they are still the original demos, and they feel very just incredibly stripped back, particularly in the context of the other albums he was making around that time. So I think Darkness on the Edge of Town may have been the album before Nebraska, or maybe The River. So these huge albums, like yeah, The River, The River being like a double album, the most music he's put on one disc, and then vinyl and then suddenly moving on to this kind of strip pared down music it in the context of his work i find it incredibly um affecting for for being stripped down in that way so i'd, I'd certainly recommend it and it's got yeah some of his great track great tracks on it really good stuff love it um that's probably i i don't think i've listened to a single song from that so you've probably told me about that album three or four times maybe um atlantic city is the most probably the most known song from there that's the least stripped down of them um, but yeah and if you like the boss there's a delightful netflix show is this one of your recommendations or is this a sort of spin-off no that's a spin-off just if you want a great netflix watch springsteen on broadway very affecting very moving and it is just the boss and a guitar perfect and um, so my minimalist album was tricky, George, because, uh, I, tr- I, you know, there's certain minimalist tracks and songs I like. Um, but for certain ones, the whole album often doesn't, hasn't worked like mm-hmm. an ambient music I really like, but then the whole album might have some junk on it sure. um, or be a bit weird. Like some of the Brian Eno albums for a famous minimalist ambient music. Some of them have a lot of bad tracks and then a few really good ones. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to, for a left turn, Ooh. for a left turn, George, um, and some people don't describe this as minimalist, but I think it, I think it is, is a Kanye West's Jesus album. Yeah, interesting. Um, where... People said the album he did before, Dark Twisted Fancy, is it? Dark, my beautiful yeah, dark, beautiful Dark Twisted Fancy. Twisted Fancy was a maximalist, throw everything in the kitchen sink at it, put everything you can in there. It's a very big, chunky album. 
straight after that, Jesus is a much more stripped down there. I think the album takes a little over half an hour. Um, it's very short. It's got a few tracks and it's, uh, and uh, they hired, they got Rick Rubin in who famously came and stripped loads of things out, whether it was like piano bits or extra chords or unnecessary beats or drums and kind so of so Kanye had made it as a bit more of a full-on piece did he and then they stripped it down well after I, I don't know when they got Rick Rubin in but they basically explicitly he was he was you know someone who was pushing hard for like let's let's pare this right back to as little you know as little as possible mm-hmm. now some people listen to those tracks and they'll be like oh it still sounds like there's a lot of production in them but some parts you'll get like for example in the final track bound two you'll have some parts where it's, all you're hearing really is literally a bass note in the chorus, mm. just one bass note over the chorus or, um, you know, black skinhead is quite stripped down. There's a lot less, there's not like the same amount of full rich production you get yeah. on like a Kanye West song. Um, so it's, it's one of his albums. that's not for everyone. Or, uh, if you take a track on there, like I'm in it, that's also very minimal or hold my liquor. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's not for everyone, but I think it's kind of one of his most interesting. Uh, it's one of his experiments that, to me, completely paid off. Uh, whereas sometimes he'll go on an experiment and it doesn't really quite work, or there's interesting mm-hmm. ideas, but it kind of feels like one of his more cohesive albums that all has a certain tone and a certain feel to it. And it's almost like, yeah, it's not. It's it's one of the least radio friendly albums Kanye West has ever made, but it's one that is almost in a certain mood you can put it on and it just feels all of a completely whole piece. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Good album for uh, running training I found as well. Gets Good album for running, yeah. For yeah. Sure. The other, uh, I guess the other Kanye, he's got, I guess the other one in the stable that would fit that brief is 808s and Heartbreaks, right? That's also super yeah. sparse in, yeah. in comparison um, with the albums either side of it. Yeah, and if you want uh, just a song that is minimalist, just a track. Mm-hmm. And again, this isn't me recommending the whole album, but George, you know the artist Aphex Twin? I do. So he just has an ambient piece that's literally called Number Three. So if so you want a nice simple. little, if you want a nice minimalist ambient piece to meditate to, uh, Aphex Twin track Number Three. Lovely. Um, my song, just to sort of strong arm one in, was. I was sort of struggling and just pulled this out of the air, but um, Isolation by Joy Division. Um, it's got that kind of stripped back, sparse, haunting, sort of isolated sound. It's essentially a synth riff and a little bit of syncopated drumming in the background. And it's about being by yourself, which is about as minimalist as things get. Good. Chirpy old... Um... <laughs> happy, happy note Chirpy to end on. Chirpy old Ian Curtis. Mm, yeah. Um, Lovely stuff. Well, I think so, that just just about does it, doesn't it? You want to wrap her up here? I think so. What's our what's our runtime? Uh, forty five minutes. Uh, yeah, okay. Let's let's wrap here for now, and we'll be back next week with topic that we haven't chosen yet. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that was fun. I hope I hope you enjoyed listening. I enjoyed doing it. Uh, I think we should do a little question for the listeners. So. Okay. I think how um, many items are too many items? <laughs> <laughs> what? Well, uh, yeah. Well, uh, how many items are too many items? And 
what what's the biggest category of stuff you really need to throw away whether it's clothes whether it's books whether it's mementos uh whether it's ornaments or whatever it is what's some category of stuff that you are guilty of completely hoarding and you should purge yourself of uh for me it's clothes i'm quite happy with my books i don't want to get rid of them um Mm. i probably have slightly too many but i'm quite quite pleased with the books but clothes clothes i think i could definitely get rid of a lot of Uh, for me emotional baggage that's a good point yeah that's a good point for all of us (laughs) something to think about um and if you want to get marie kondo's book the life-changing magic of tidying up uh that's going to help you start your journey to a minimal happy life lovely um snip that in the bud shall we i think we're done all right lovely to see you george i'll see your face next week perfect cheers guys thanks for listening thank you